We've been talking over the last uh, several months about hearing God, that we primarily hear God through Jesus, who is the living word. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he said, for the words I speak are not my own, but the father who lives in me doing his work through me. And so what I like to say is that Jesus is what the father looks and sounds like. He is what the father looks like and sounds like. So hearing God is more about meeting the master than it is having a skill that you can master. We've also looked at how hearing God comes uh, in a very powerful way through his written word, through the Bible. And that as we read it, we must do it through the lens of Jesus, that he uh, is the lens by which we see all scripture because it all points to him. It's all culminated in him. And one day it will all be wrapped up in him. In him, we live and move and have our being. Everything's about Jesus. We have to have a Christological hermeneutic where everything we, we look at in scripture is not just telling us how to behave. It's pointing us to the one who helps us behave. Jesus is the way by which we can walk in obedience. Jesus is the way by which we can have righteousness. There is no life apart from Jesus. I don't even have a life to live anymore. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, that's a good, good amen moment. And then we also looked at how God speaks to us through prophecy, how he he uses servants, his servants, his people, not, not just the office of prophet, but the average ordinary person that's filled with the Holy Spirit to actually speak God's word into people's lives. That every joint supplies and that spiritual gifts are given to the body for the building up, the strengthening. And you have a part to play and it may be a prophetic word and it may not sound like a prophetic word. You might not stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. You may just simply turn to someone and say, I feel like the Lord wants me to pray for you. And as you're praying, you say something you don't even mean to say and God says through you to them and their life is changed. Well, I should have preached that way about prophecy. My goodness. Someone was telling me the other day, about a word that Glenn Hall had given them years ago and, uh, and how much that word is meaning to that person right now. It didn't even really register at the time too much, but it was kept and now it is speaking to this person and encouraging and building them up. Listen, God may use you to speak to someone. This is not my message. I don't know why I'm saying this. Probably because it's prophetic. God may have something for you to say to someone that is imperative to their formation, to their growth, to their development, to their obedience, to their, to their encouragement, their building up. Let's not withhold what God gives to us. And then last week, we looked at how God uh, doesn't just speak in the big things, the things like wind and earthquake and fires. He speaks oftentimes in what could be called a gentle whisper, almost, almost a silence that speaks volumes. That his very presence is speaking even when you're not discerning words. 
that he often speaks in a still, small voice. And though he can speak and does speak in big things, he often speaks in the little things. That we, therefore, must be encouraged to draw near, and he will draw near to us. And that as he promised through his prophet Jeremiah, that when we call upon him, he will answer. And he will tell us great and mighty things which we do not know. Well, this morning, we're continuing our look at hearing God and will for a few more weeks. And we're going to look specifically at the young boy named Samuel. Um, just a boy. Some ranging probably between 8 and 12, maybe up to 15. But most think that he was not beyond 12 years of age. And Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll read the whole chapter here in a few minutes. He learned to recognize God's voice. Voice recognition is critical. Recognizing whose voice it is you're listening to is critical to your spiritual maturity and development. As we look at Samuel's story, we really have to start with his mother, Hannah, um, who was barren and prayed and you read about it in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. He, she prayed to the Lord to give her a child. She prayed so fervently and she was just mouthing words. It was so intense that Eli, the, the priest, thought she was drunk. And she was pouring her heart out to God. And she said, oh, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring my heart out to God and asking him for a child. And God gave her a son. And as she had promised, she gave it back to him after she had weaned him. She gave him back to the service of the Lord into Eli's supervision there in the tabernacle where the Lord's presence dwelt with them. We should remember Hannah's role in Samuel's story because it probably points to people in our story. It, it helps us understand our call because all of us are brought to God through a series of relationships. Not all the same, but people that are significant to your coming to Jesus. Parents, pastors, youth pastors, friends, strangers. Many who have nurtured and discipled us into the call of God where we can hear God's voice and we can receive his call. I, I, I bet if you're sitting here today, you can think of someone or somebody's who like Hannah for Samuel, helped bring you to God. Helped pray you into the kingdom. Helped encourage you in a really low spot. Helped come alongside and, and speak words of life and strength into you when you didn't think you could go on. Who spoke corrective words and directive words. Who challenged you and wrestled with you. Who didn't let you go but who determined that they would keep pounding the ceiling towards heaven to get the Lord to capture your heart. It's probably a good idea to thank God for them right now. Just do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the people in my life that labored that I could know you. Let's look further at the story. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, 
the very one who thought his mom was drunk. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. There is so much strong symbolism here, factual things that point to something bigger. First, it opens with less of God speaking and more of God's silence. I mean, it says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. For a people that was used to, under Moses and Joshua, having vision from God all the time. Then we see this priest, Eli, whose eyes are weak, dimmed. And it reminds us of his weak spiritual state. He wasn't a bad man in and of himself, but he was weak in his following obedience to the Lord. In the first two chapters, we read about Eli, who was not discerning at all when it came to spiritual things, and yet he was the high priest of Yahweh, but not spiritually sensitive. You could especially see this with his own two sons who were corrupt and made a mockery of worship in the house of God, sleeping with those that served outside the gates, taking more than they were entitled to, abusing, corrupting the work of God. And Eli just let him do it. Eli's fading eyesight is really highly symbolic of, of an Israel where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what it says at the end of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And therefore, as we read in 1 Samuel 3, the word of the Lord was rare. But we're also told that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And what does this mean? Well, priests were instructed to keep the lamps, the menorah, the seven lampstand, the seven uh, lights on the lampstand lit throughout the night and into the, also in the day and they would light it twice and it was to stay lit the whole time. Because they were required to keep this burning in the temple every night until morning, it probably puts this call of Samuel late into the night, maybe even early dusk right before the sun comes up. But it also gives us hope. Yes, the word of the Lord was rare, but God has not given up on his people. Despite the fact that they were doing what was right only in their own eyes, God was about to speak and call his people back to him. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It's in this context that we read that Samuel is called by God, verse four. Then the word, or excuse me, then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. Think about 10-year-old boy, okay? I have a 10-year-old grandson. Uh, I have a few grandsons. Like 8, 10, 11, right in that range. I'm envisioning them when I read this. I'm envisioning tall for Louie or Finn or Asher. The younger ones too, but those four in particular. Here I am. And he jumps up. It's, it's at the middle of the night. 
And he runs to Eli and says, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And then the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel jumped up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. I'm thinking he's a little irritated at this point. It's the second time he woke me up, that boy. I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And this is an intriguing statement here. He did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I believe Samuel knew Jehovah, God of Israel, was the true God. He'd been raised that way. He was serving in the temple that was connected to all of that. He knew the ways of God. He knew the worship of God. He probably even knew the words of God. He had knowledge of him and knew his ways, yet he did not know the Lord. And I think that's an evidence that can be very true in many of our lives, in many people's lives. We, we can know the ways of God, but the question is, do we know him? Have we experienced him in an intimate fashion? Do we have firsthand knowledge, knowing him in a way that gives us assurance and life and identity? Has his word been revealed to us? We can know about Jesus. But the question is, do we know Jesus? The story continues in verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he stayed asleep. No, he didn't. He jumped up again. He arose, and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. I, I love how alert uh, Samuel is. How he is, he, in the middle of the night, it doesn't matter, he hears his voice his name called, and he jumps up and responds. He comes running. It's an indicator of how we should be coming to the Lord always. Jesus said, unless you come as one of these little ones, one of these children, you can't enter my kingdom. Samuel had no problems jumping up out of bed. I don't know if you have this problem or not, but I don't jump up out of bed very easily these days. Uh, we, yeah. It's a process of getting up out of bed. But Samuel jumps up and runs to his master and says, here I am, you called. I'm eager, I'm alert, I'm ready, I'm responsive. Now Eli, on the other hand, is spiritually sluggish. And it takes him a while to figure out what's going on. But eventually, this weak-sighted priest, he realizes that God is calling the boy. And he gives Samuel some instructions on how he should respond next time. Verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his, in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, but this time he said it twice. Samuel, Samuel. I think that's impressive and significant. 
There were a couple other figures in the Bible who had their name called twice. Abraham was called twice when he was about to sacrifice his son to the Lord in obedience to what he had heard God say. And just as he's rearing up the knife, God says to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Moses, when he is tending his father-in-law's sheep, sees in the distance a burning bush. And he hears out of that, Moses, Moses. And now this 10-year-old boy is being called the same way those two giants of the faith were called. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Samuel heard the voice of God and his response was obedience. I'm ready. He had to be tutored in it, discipled in it. He had to be trained to know what he's hearing is not the the voice of an old priest lying in the other room. What he's hearing is the voice of God speaking to him. And when Samuel, this 10-year-old boy, hears it again, he is eager to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The Hebrew word for that word hears or listens is paying attention and obeying. It has full engagement, not just a passive listening, but an eager hearing that he might respond and obey. And Samuel heard God's word and declared that he was ready to obey. It's the response we should all have when God speaks. It's the response we should all have with respect to God in all things. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, he continues what he's telling him. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now I have to just stop and give explanation about that word tingle. Because it almost makes it sound like it's, he's tickling them. Ooh, that feels nice. Little, you know, my nose, when it gets vibrated, when they, you know, when they... Uh, do the massager on my shoulders at the haircutting place. I know it's a little weird, but (laughs) it makes my nose vibrate and it tingles a little. But that's not what, (laughs) God's not trying to, (laughs) he's not trying to give them a fun sensation, a little tickle, make someone's nose vibrate. That word is better translated as ringing. I'm about to do a thing in Israel that will make their ears ring. Or in my translation, I'm about to box their ears. Verse 12, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. You see a prophet had come to Eli in the earlier chapter and told him what was going to happen. And what God is telling Samuel is just confirmation of that. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. (laughs) And I bet he didn't get another wink of sleep. Whoa. 
my master that I've been serving all these years of really all my knowledge after my mom had weaned me. He's about to take him down. Surely Samuel saw the iniquity of his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. But I'm not sure that he wanted to deliver this kind of message to his master. Samuel lay there until morning, and when he, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, for that was his duty as the, the servant there, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. This time, Samuel recognizes the difference between God's voice and Eli. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I mean, it's good that Eli recognizes that he is still a servant of the most high God and that God can do what he wants to But wouldn't it have been better if Eli in that moment tore his robes and repented before God and went and dealt with his children? Maybe God would have relented. We don't know. I watch parents these days who let their children do whatever they want to do. I don't think they're doing the thing that Hophni and Phinehas were doing necessarily but maybe they'll grow to do that. Sometimes as a parent, we have to tell our kids no. And we have to restrain them from doing things that are dishonoring to God, maybe even blasphemous to God. Eli just let them go loose. I wonder what would have happened if he had repented, dealt with his kids. Look at verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. That phrase uh, earlier in verse, uh, what, 19? uh, And let none of his words fall to the ground. Uh, Think of uh, an archer uh, with his arrows and a bow and he's shooting for a target, and the arrow doesn't make it. It falls to the ground. We were playing darts this weekend at the men's camp out, and I, I noticed that a lot of times my dart didn't even make it to the target. That shows you that I'm not very good at darts. But in this case, none of what Samuel was called to speak fell to the ground. It all hit its target. Wouldn't you love for it to be said of you that all that God has called you to do, it hit the target? It didn't fall to the ground? You know, this narrative of how Samuel learned to recognize God's voice is so instructive to us, teaching us several truths. And I I don't have time to speak all of them. They're probably too numerous to even count. But there are two in particular I want to highlight before we close today. First, Samuel heard God's voice by being in God's presence. Samuel heard God's voice by being in God's presence. Now, you remember, this is 
Old Testament. And so he's in the temple and it says he's near the Ark of God. Uh, chances are the Ark of the Covenant was behind uh, a tent, uh, behind a screen. It was where the presence of God dwelt. It was the Holy of Holies. But right outside that was chances are that's where he was actually sleeping. So you could keep an eye on the menorah and whether the lights would go out for for that was not allowed and he would have to run to Eli and warn him before they extinguished and he could come and rejuvenate them. Samuel is in the place where God's presence dwelt with the people. He is right up there close. And while that is incredible to think about it, I'm not suggesting that we all sleep here at church tonight. That sounds like a nightmare to me. I've had enough youth lock-ins in my lifetime. I don't need a church-wide lock-in for us to experience the presence of God. But here's the good news. We don't have to. The presence and spirit of God is not limited to the four walls of a building. In fact, four walls of a building can't contain the spirit and presence of God. And even more profound than that is that he has enabled us who are filled with his spirit to have his presence with us, to encounter, to experience, and to practice his presence wherever we go and whatever we do. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the very presence of God rests in this earth container called a body that's not worthy of it, but the glory of God shines through it. We have the presence with us, but to live as if we're not in his presence is to make our hearing dull to what he will have to say, to act as if he's not residing and the very presence and purpose of God born inside of us would be to say, I don't really care what you have to say. When we live ignoring his spirit, his presence, it means the word of the Lord could very easily be rare in our lives. The second thing I want to point out is that I believe we can learn something from Samuel, and it has to do with his attentiveness, his intentionality. He was alert and he was listening. He was not tuning out. He was not checking out. He was not turning off. He was engaged. Far too many of us go through life not listening, not hearing what God is saying or what we're listening to isn't helpful or, or it may even be harmful. With so much noise, too many inputs, with so many voices clamoring for our attention, it's easy to grow dull in our hearing, to become inattentive to his voice. And it's something we should constantly challenge ourselves in this, in our walk with the Lord. As Wade said, and I mentioned, we, several of us, about, I don't know, 28 or 30 of us, the men in our church, got to go in a camp out this weekend, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, it's great to be with men and fellowship and encourage, sit around the campfire, love doing that. And, and my dad makes sure we like kings, I mean, steaks, and it's not your typical beanie weenies for dinner. Um, 
And, and Stephanie makes this amazing chili we had on Friday night, an incredible breakfast. We, have, we eat like kings, we really do. You know, if we were really more spiritual, we might fast and go camping, but <laughs> we're not that spiritual, I guess. But what's most important about these times as, as our re- men's retreat, and by the way, women, I, I, I hear you. I think we need to make some times for our women to have these chances too. So the Lord will help us in that in the future. I heard that amen back there. <laughs> and all the dads said, you mean I have to take care of the kids? And someone said yes. (laughs) But the best part about being away is to get away with the Lord. My dad set this thing up called the time of solitude. We just encourage all the men to go out and just hear the Lord. A couple hours, hiking, walking, reading, praying, hearing what God is saying. And I I love those moments because it's like a reset. It's a reboot of our intimacy with him. But I also realize that not a lot of us can get away for a weekend to be with God. Um, While we should make a priority of having regular time with him, we should also stay attentive in the normal times with him, in the everyday times with him. Because he will speak in our routine of life as much as he will in the time we've set apart. He will speak at the kitchen sink as you're putting your kids to bed, as you're driving to work, as you're alone in your thoughts. The important thing is that in both the sacred and the ordinary, we stay attentive. We stay eager to hear, intentional. We tune in to what the Spirit is saying and doing, asking God to speak. Why? Because his servants hear. Speak, Lord. We, your servants, hear. We want to hear. For Samuel, he had to learn to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of Eli and also the voice of his own heart. We do too. We have to learn to distinguish between the voices that we're hearing, some very good voices, just not God's voice. We need to know what God's voice sounds like as opposed to our own voice. And the voice of those that may even be caring for us. And certainly the voice of the enemy. Samuel distinguished. And as he learned to distinguish God's voice, he also learned how to discern God's will. When you distinguish God's voice, then you're more intimate with him. You begin to discern what his will is. You become not just a servant of Jesus. You become his friend, someone that is working with him. And this is critical for Samuel throughout his ministry, not just this initial time when he's 8, 10, 12 years old. One of those times was when the elders of Israel came to him wanting him to appoint for them a king because all the other nations had one. And this didn't please Samuel at all. He was not happy about it. He knew that by wanting a human king, they were rejecting the true king. He knew that by propping up an earthly king, that they were turning their back on Yahweh, who was their king. But God spoke to Samuel. Samuel thought he had the mind of the Lord. No king. What are you guys thinking? No king. No, I won't do that. 
But look what God said. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now, this is interesting because on the one hand, God seems to be agreeing with Samuel's viewpoint on this, that their having a king is truly rejecting God as king. But on the other hand, God was telling Samuel to do what they were asking. The voice of Samuel's heart said, no king. But the voice of God said, give him a king. It was important that Samuel distinguished between his own voice and the voice of God. It's another time that happened when this king that was appointed, who truly did the wrong things and was rejected by God, God instructed Samuel to go and appoint and anoint a new king, a second king, to replace Saul. And he sent him to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons as the new king because God had rejected Saul. Now, Samuel didn't want to go. He, he said to God, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. But God insisted and Samuel obeyed. But when, it came to, when he came to Jesse's house, they brought before him Jesse's firstborn son to be anointed as the king. Surely it's this guy. He looks like a king. He's the firstborn son. It would only be him and not any of the rest. And so the voice of Samuel's heart at that moment said, surely the Lord anointed, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel's voice is saying, he's the guy. But then God says the next verse, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Six more were brought before David came in. And, and throughout that time, God keeps saying, nope, nope, nope. And finally, do you have another son? Well, yeah, he's, he's out tending the sheep. Call, we're not going anywhere until he gets here. And he shows up and God says, that's the one. Samuel had to learn to distinguish and recognize the voice of the Lord as opposed to his own voice that seemed like a good plan. This seemed like a right plan. This seemed like an appropriate plan. It just wasn't God's plan. More than once, Samuel had to learn that the voice of his heart was not the voice of God. And we do too. This is why it's so important that we have those around us to encourage us, to be accountable with us, that we have a spirit of discernment within our community that allows for you to check things out with other people, to make sure that it lines up with the, God, with the scripture that it is what Pete Gregg calls about an ABC, that it's affirming, that it's biblical, and that it's Christ-like. But in all of those things, there are gonna be times when your good plan is not God's plan. And we need to have such a tuning in to God, such a recognition of his voice, that when he says something that doesn't make sense here, we know that we've heard it here. Our following of Jesus will require this same skill. Just like Samuel, we have to learn how to hear his voice and to discern his will. 
This is what I hope that we will do as mature followers of, belief, of Jesus, as a community that believes strongly in hearing God's voice. So let me close with just a few questions for us. Are you here today like Hannah, barren in a part of your life that causes you great sorrow? Is there a part of your life that every time you think about it, it causes you grief and tears and maybe even mumbling? People might even think you obsess about it too much. Have you called out to God, the source of all life, to meet you in your barrenness? Are you willing to totally commit what he provides to you in the answer back to him in his service? Or has your vision grown dim? Do you have spiritual cataracts and you can't see very well? Your view of God has grown weak and are you allowing certain things in your life to blaspheme or dishonor God like Eli's two sons did? Choosing not to deal with it, but to ignore it. And then when God finally makes a verdict, say, so be it, it's what God says. But never being called to repent yourself. Are you apathetic when it comes to hearing and responding to God, to what he has to say? Are you even in his presence are you even attending to it that you might hear what he says? Are you responding to other voices? There's so many out there. Or are you tuned into his voice, attentive to what he has to say? And are you paying attention to the presence of God, recognizing that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and that if you will stay alert to that, he will speak and direct and correct and impress upon you what his will is. Whether it's in the sacred, where you've set some time apart, or whether it's in the ordinary, where you're doing the things you always have to do. God speaks. Are we his servants who will hear? And finally, I pray that all of us will be like this boy, Samuel, who grew to be a man, a mighty prophet of God who not only ministered in the presence of God, but also listened to the voice of God and can continue to do that throughout his life. If ever there was a message to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's this message today. May it be so of us. Amen. My lovely wife is gonna come and share her thoughts She's been sitting there and taking notes. And uh, we're going to pray for you. I think it's, it's good to be reminded that there's always a part that God brings and there's always a part he allows us to bring. Not... Um, in the way we might relate to each other, where it's sort of a requirement, but it's, it's an opportunity, it's a blessing, it's a kindness. And the fact that he speaks is amazing. The fact that he has said that if we know him, he will teach us how to know his voice. 
It's a part of, part of the package. It's right. not something extra that we have to work hard to get. It's, it comes with being his, to know his voice. And that he cares about all the things that we care about. Yes, he does. And he wants to talk to us about them. Right. And what we hear him say will make a difference. Whether it's conviction, thank you for your conviction. Whether it's direction, whether it's something in the Holy Spirit that's not possible in our hearts, like forgiveness, apart from what he puts there mm -hmm. by the power of his voice. Yeah, that's right. I just found myself while Chris was preaching today, thinking through various cares um, of other people that I've been praying about. And I really felt him saying to me that he's in that. Even the heavy things, even the, the cares, that we really can roll that over onto him, not just to get rid of it so we feel lighter, but to hear what he has to say about it. Right. Because what he has to say about it will make a difference. Yes. So yes. when I pray for us today, I want to also have you be praying your list. Maybe it's a list of your own heart cares. Maybe it's a list of the cares of others that have made you heavy. Mm-hmm. But he's present. His voice changes things. And his voice matters. Yes, it does. So we're going to pray for you. Get that list out that she just talked about. And hear what he's saying about that, even yes. the hard things. I really am struck by the fact that when he speaks, um, it changes us more than it even changes our circumstances. Yes. And sometimes we're just looking for a, a change of circumstances, and I understand. But he really wants to have us changed, and then we might find that the circumstances fall in line. We're going to pray, and then in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of ministry for those that really want to be ministered to and prayed for. So you be prepared for that as well. Will you join us in prayer? Father, we thank you that you not only hear us when we pray, but you respond. You listen to us, and you want to grow us up into listening to you, where we're intentional, consistent, alert, looking. Responding to what you say is the natural outcome of actually having heard you. So we want to put our energy into the hearing. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts with that list, whether it's a list of our own cares or the cares of others, but that we would lay it out before you, not to feel better, but to hear the power of your word that holds the whole world in existence. Yes, Lord. That you would speak because your servant is listening that you would answer us in the time of our distress 
and that what you say would change not just our lives, but all the lives that we touch, that we influence, that we yes. connect with. Yes, Jesus. Your love is big enough. Your word is strong enough. And we submit to it. We say yes to what you're saying, Lord. Yes, we do. Lord, forgive us where we have minimized your presence with us. And it's caused our hearing to grow dull. Our eyesight to become dim. Where we don't see the way we need to. And the word of the Lord is rare in our lives. God, call us back to you, to the place where we not only have life and love in you, but we have your voice directing us, speaking to us, building us. I pray, God, that we as a community will be a church of servants who hear the Lord, who respond eagerly before you. Speak, God, for your servants here. And I pray, Lord, that out of that hearing would become, would come to us an intentional obedience, a leaning in to doing what God has said, that we're not just hearers of the word only, but also doers. So we lay this list out to you, these things that we're maybe even mulling over apart from you. We ask God, you speak, speak to those things. Speak to us about those things. Reorient us around you in those things, that we're not preoccupied with those things, but we are fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And then God, let, we, let us see the power of God in our midst. In these matters and others, Lord, that we would follow you in all that you were saying and doing. I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to each of us today in the areas that we need you the most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.